we are here for the alumni lab meeting 21 with Kate Samarzik, who is a cell biologist from the School of Life Sciences in UTS, uh, level seven. Doing your lovely work up there. How are you today? Lovely? Pretty tired. It's a Friday. I'm ready for the weekend. So over this week. All right. It's been a long week. So if you could describe your PhD in any words to make it relevant to people, how would you describe it? Like the experience of it? Yeah. How's your journey been? Very slow and damaging. I told you earlier, I feel like it's like I'm beating my head against a wall, but moving along it very slowly. But you're moving along Um, it. It's definitely moving. That's that's the positive thing. And I told my supervisor this, and he was just like, well, yeah, that's normal. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. No, I'm imagining like the wall of a room and it's like divided into sections by each year. And like, as I'm in my third year and almost in the second half of it, it's like, getting towards the end of the wall and like hopefully there's not like a ledge at the end or the room is circular <laughs> no that's but a plot twist oh. there is a way out there is a way out and it, I don't know something happens and like industry you, you get there and there's one of those like travel ladders like at the airport and you just start moving really far away from uni that would be good I look forward to that yeah so what's your work on Kate so tell I us about it I look at a group of compounds called non-protein amino acids, and they don't sound really interesting because no one really knows what they are. Yeah. But basically, like to give it a bit more context and make people understand, well, yeah, I'm, they're actually found in a bunch of nutritional supplements, so I'm characterizing the toxicity of these supplements and seeing whether or not we need to be worried about them. So supplements are toxic? Not all. Potentially. Some, what potentially. Kind of, what kind of nutritional supplements? Okay, so... Basically, it's whatever ones that these non-protein amino acids are in, and that kind of varies. So I've been looking at a pre-workout one, mm-hmm. so like gym junkie people. Um, I'm looking at one in a fiber supplement, and then also like the algal-based like spirulina stuff. Right, so it's across a, a pretty Well, yeah, it's spectrum. basically just there's... Okay, so I don't know how much Joel went into in your last podcast about this, but there's this algal toxin that's been linked to neurodegenerative disease. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a non-protein amino acid. And yep. so there was a bunch of like research on that. And then our lab kind of went, well, where are there more of these? And we went, okay, where are there more? How could that be relevant to people in terms yep. of people consuming them? And then we kind of went, hey, actually, there's a bunch of these non-protein amino acids in dietary supplements yeah. that no one's really looked and at. And people are taking it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really taking it. Yeah, and I guess that's like kind of the crux of it though, and that's why it's kind of impactful because so many people take all these supplements and stuff with like under the guise of trying to be more healthy and improve their health. But like the the industry is like not really regulated to the standard that like, you know, pharmaceuticals and medicines are. So it's like a lot of people trust them and think, oh, it looks and walks and talks like it. And they think that it's undergone like those same tests, but it actually hasn't. So the case with most supplements is that they haven't actually been shown to um, have any effect. Like their efficacy, they don't have to show efficacy before they go to market. Like that they work. So like, there would have been a clinical trial for paracetamol yeah. to where people were like, they were like, I don't know, making up numbers, but like nine out of 10 people found that it improved headaches. Mm-hmm. So they say take paracetamol for a headache. Right. Where they can say, take X, Y, Z to improve your workout, 
but no one's shown that it actually so improves it's, things. it's like in that grey area between homeopathy and medicine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what homeopathy is completely. Homeopathy is like, put this crystal in your bed, it'll help you Yeah, out. it's, I don't know, it's, it's really grey because they actually haven't shown that this stuff works and the people who make them don't need to show that it works. Do you know much about regulation in the industry? Like, is Australia pretty good in a sense of that regulation compared to, say, the US? Um, they're actually quite similar. So the Therapeutic Goods Association, the TGA, yep. which is the Australian one, and then the FDA, which I can't remember what that stands for, That's in America. Yeah. So basically, they generally say that they want to show that it's safe, and then they want, and then they don't need to worry so much about saying what that it does what it says it does, okay. unless it's making like a, a really grand claim. So it's very kind of tricky in the terminology, and I'm not a lawyer, so I don't completely get it, but from my understanding of what I've read, you can be like, they can say something like, we boost liver, liver health. Yeah. So they, like, they tend to use words like boosts, promotes and stuff, rather yeah. than we'll, like cure, we'll do this, like, yeah, yeah. we'll actually have a solid effect. So that's why they tend to skirt around it by saying we boost things and promote things. And, um, in terms of regulation, so there's the requirement they show they're safe, but those safety studies kind of aren't always done, especially if it's something that's already used a lot. So where my research comes into it, and is interesting, because my compounds are amino acids, yeah. and amino acids have such a good rap, like they have a good reputation, because there's, there's the protein ones. Yeah, that's literally a, all that, is how I, that is how I start every presentation. I say, yeah. amino acids, they're the building blocks of life. There's 20 really good ones, and they've been studied a shit ton. Yeah. Okay? But the ones that I study, these non-protein ones, are like their lesser known counterparts, mm -hmm. and they're the ones that can be toxic and that we need to be worried about but because in the way supplement regulations work if it's an amino acid and it doesn't say what kind then it can bypass that stuff because it's assumed oh, safe okay so there's no one really doing the double checking on this stuff right so that's why the research we're doing is really interesting because like it's obviously in vitro small cell line stuff yep. so it's very early research but we're getting an idea and saying hey, maybe this isn't a good thing. And I, when you combine like a potential toxic effect to the fact that no one has shown that they have a positive outcome when you use them, those two things combined make us maybe think, should we reconsider using them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you're pretty deep in, so do you have any results leaning towards that already? Yeah. Have you published any stuff um, yet? My or? supervisor is currently reviewing one of my papers. Cool. So that one is on a pre-workout called Norvaline. Yep. Um, and so it's in a lot of pre-workout stuff, and it's really interesting. So people take it because it's meant to be some sort of pump. Like yep. it's like a pump supplement. And Whatever that means. Yeah, basically it means like people think that it dilates blood vessels and then makes more blood flow to the muscles. Right. And then the muscles like look better while you're working out. What? Yeah, and oh, so that's, that's why people think that's why so people that's why people take <laughs> that that's why people take it and that actually hasn't been shown to do that. But um, these pump um, supplements is like actually a really big industry. It'd like, be quite a large market. Yeah, like it's really funny. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger said something about what, what he said taking them was better than sex once or something. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a guy I used yeah. to work with, and he was using I can't remember. But he he would call it crack. I think it's just steroids and he's like I love it 
but I've had to get off it because I can become really angry and stuff. Yeah. It's like when I'm in the gym working out, I feel like a god. Like I could, yeah, you know, I can lift anything. I was like, that's really interesting. Yeah, that that shit's like almost legal. It's weird, yeah, weird stuff. So, and it's like a lot of the time people take supplements as the alternative to steroids, yeah, and exactly. a lot of people like are under the mentality mm-hmm. that. I'm being healthier because I'm not taking steroids, but mm. because there isn't a lot of literature to back up some of the claims these supplements make, it's definitely something people need to be aware of. Yeah, full yeah. on. So yeah, it's pretty important research. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've seen a bunch of toxicity stuff. Um, in particular, I'm seeing a part of the cell the mitochondria affected. Would they be long-term effects as well? Like well, not a single dosage, so to speak, but over a couple of years you would develop something because you're looking well, at neurodegenerative. Yeah. So. Well, it does. So, like, the background to our research, which is that algal toxin, BMIA, Mm -hmm. that has been linked to neurodegenerative disease, that, um, like, the disease appears after, like, a long latency. So, like, we're talking, like, 20, 30 years of Mm -hmm. chronic exposure. Mm -hmm. And so, like, obviously, within the scope of a PhD and in day-to-day lab stuff, it's really hard to kind of model that. But we can use the toxicity assays that I do as just a basis. And then when you think about how people take these supplements, a lot of them are taken twice a day like before the gym after yeah. the gym like and when you've got healthy people taking something every day for a long period of time potentially that that's that's how this can happen yeah. so like i don't know i think we i don't want to like be scaremongering or anything but like we don't really know enough to not know that there would potentially be in like 30 years a bunch of people who were bodybuilding and took really good care of themselves in their youth whether it be to maintain a good physical shape or yeah. out of vanity who could be potentially getting sick yeah, yeah or yeah developing neurodegeneratives and like combining that with a lot of people who go to the gym and say play a contact sport and get head concussions and stuff there's a real wealth of problems that these people could be walking themselves into totally yeah scary stuff damn I love contact sport though <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> I, I, I do, it. I love it. Yeah. I, love it. I don't do any sport. Right, so you are pretty deep in your PhD, and by all accounts, well, mostly by your Twitter account, as I've gone back and yeah. stopped it, and I've been following you on Twitter for a little while and just watching things happen. You've done a lot of stuff, I've got written down here. Um, well, you're doing a conference next week. You've just presented a lecture for the first time. How is presenting a lecture? It was actually really fun. Um, I teach two hour or one hour it was only half an hour thank god Um, (laughs) but it was really fun so basically it was for the advanced microscopy master's subject and I do a lot of microscopy and imaging in my um, PhD work and so I came in and did a lecture on the research applications of microscopy which was really fun because I just got to show them a lot about my research and how I've used it and I kind of took them through the aims of my research and how I use microscopy to answer those questions because they haven't really done research before and they learn about these techniques but they don't really see them in application. Yeah, and you were, you, did you write all that lecture up as well? Like, it wasn't just given to you to... Can you no, no, I, yeah, I made slides like with all my data and stuff. Yeah, so okay. And that was, how was that as an experience? How long did that take to produce half an hour of work? Um, I'd say maybe like two hours okay cool yeah so i was really lucky i just kind of copied and pasted from my lab meeting slides uh, and nice. then just formatted a few things so cool. that's the one good thing about my lab where we have to do presentations so then when it's time to do something you just copy and paste it oh, really nice. and so I, I have like three presentations in the next month and they're just going to be all the same like four different groups uh, oh, like, I have day, yeah four different groups, and i was like i have these i'm just going to use the same one for 
Yeah, and then you just like add in a few details so to make it more specific. Like a basic one, yeah. And you can chop and change according to your audience and that kind of stuff like, as well. I just had to make a poster for the conference next week and I just opened up this poster I made at the end of honours, so that was like in twenty fifteen. Yeah. And I just just changed the data sets around yeah. and kept the exact same formatting added an extra line about the methods and I was like, hey. So where's your conference? It's what in, is it? It's in San Diego. Cool. So very cool. And the conference is called Multifaceted Mitochondria. So it's right. all about mitochondria That's health. So, I love this. I love how specific conferences can be. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, yeah. Well, like, I guess because my... Okay, so I study mitochondria in particular because they, like, recent studies have shown that they can be linked... Damage to mitochondria can be linked to neurodegenerative disease. Mm. So that's kind of why I've focused in and I've been doing a lot of mitochondrial health assays and stuff. Mm. And I want to go present my data to the mitochondria experts of the world and then also maybe pick up some cool new techniques so that I can come back and towards the end of my PhD do some, like, really cool, exciting new experiments. Don't know what they are yet. And then, like, well, something really... I don't know what they are. I don't know. It'd just be cool to do something really like exciting and new for the PhD. Is the mitochondria truly the powerhouse of the cell? Like that's all I remember. But I've seen something somewhere recently, and they're like, "No, it's not." And do you hate that phrase? I love it. Really? It, it, It works. It's applicable. Yeah. Alright, cool. I'll keep believing that because that's the only thing. When I, I did my Fame Lab presentation, I literally started with, like, you may have heard mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. Great. And a good transition into Fame Lab. You went pretty deep into that, didn't you? Um, Tell was, us what it is. Okay, so. Because I should have done it and it came up as an email and I was too busy. Yeah, what was it? Oh, gosh, sorry, it was like a month ago. It were, okay, FameLab is an international science communication competition where you sum up your PhD thesis and research in three minutes. Um, it's going to be for a general public audience and you're allowed to use props. But it's, yeah, so unlike the three minute thesis that runs internally, yeah. you get one slide, so to speak. Yeah, so, you get props for this. so this was no slide, no PowerPoint, so away from PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, some people like use songs, some people rhyme i mm. i sewed um some cute little mitochondria toys oh. um, <laughs> yeah with some felt my friend came over we watched a movie we had some drinks made tacos and she helped me sew the toys cool yeah and then yeah so i was a new south wales finalist for that so the fi- the new south wales finals were at the powerhouse museum there were 12 people um, and it was really fun i know i know i know i connected it on the day and i was like <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be really lame and make this joke. Shoot up, shoot up. You got up. I was always, because what I was planning on doing was saying, you may have heard mitochondria that powerhouse, and then like saying it as I'm pointing to the roof and be like, powerhouse? But I, I was really worried no one would get it because I'm not really very funny sometimes. So I was like, oh, I'll just miss, not do that. But how, how is that? Because it's mostly lay people is the idea. I mean, yeah. the people who turn up. Is the audience mostly lay people or is it people from universities supporting um, each other? I think it was a lot of friends. Like, I had a bunch of friends who came, and I, to make myself less nervous about it, I just used it as an opportunity to tell my friends what I do. Yeah. Because they don't really have any idea. That's yeah. literally what we're That's trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is just like, it was, I was just like, I'm just going to tell them what I do, and yeah. hopefully they find it interesting. So I just talked about mitochondria, supplements. You and know. did a couple of them walk away saying, oh, now I know what you do? Because if yeah. you do it to your friends. Yeah, they, 
atmosphere. It was really good, and I think it was just a really good tool to make me less nervous talking yeah, okay. to all those people. Are you generally a nervous public speaker? I get so nervous, it's ridiculous. Uh, like five minutes before the Fame Lab presentations, I was like, why did I do this? Why did I do this? What's wrong with me? Why do I do this to myself? What am I doing? It was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why am I doing this? And then I got up. And I started speaking, and then I was sitting in my seat again, and it was like some weird amnesia thing. I didn't know what happened. <laughs> I, I was sitting in my seat again, and I was just like, I have no fucking idea how this just went. Yeah. I was have, like, ah. Have you presented in front of a large amount of people lately? I, I, I don't think I've done it since school, oh. which is threatening enough at an all-boys school when you're giving a public speaking thing about debating. And yeah. That's no, exciting, right. but... Not for a while. So yeah. I was expecting the audience to be a lot smaller than it was. I didn't realize oh, the really? I didn't realize How the competition was so big. There were like maybe 150 people. Okay, cool. I was expecting 20 to 30, like the seminars yeah. that we give mm-hmm. at uni. And then I, when we got in and I saw those seats, I just went, shit, crap. Yeah, because I'm usually pretty confident public yeah. speaking, but yeah, in that that leading up 15 minutes, I'm not myself. At yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a conference coming up, but I think I'm just a I've, little worried. I've been yeah, known to get quite testy before my presentation. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm stressed and scared. Um, that's fantastic. So you're, this is not the first time you've been talking about your research. You've also done a little spot on Triple J with the famous Dr. Carl. Yeah. How was that? Uh, How was okay. meeting him? Yeah. What was that all about? So, um, I was on, um, I think, ABC Gold Coast with Dr. Carl. Um, and we were just answering questions from the public, and I was really nervous because it was supplements or just, uh, just about just, um, just about science, oh, general science. stuff. And I was absolutely shitting myself because it was live. How and did you never that? Done that. How did you it was all from Fame Lab. Right. So basically, the Fame Lab people did a press release of their finalists, cool. and then just the media would get in touch with right. them so if they wanted to talk to anyone. <laughs> and so it was. <laughs> Quite ironic. I was so scared for this Dr. Carl thing on live radio, and I didn't have to answer any questions. So I was there in the studio with Dr. Carl. I just got him, got to watch him do his magic yeah, and yeah. sit in awe, and I didn't have to say anything. Well, so that's that one was... of the things I've noticed listening to his podcast is well, he's doing what I'm doing now. He interrupts his guests all the <laughs> fucking time. But he's so knowledgeable. It was amazing, and he like gave yeah. me a tour of like the the studios, and then he like showed me all those servers, and like I was like, do you know what this wave is? And I was like, oh no. And he told me about the internet, and wow, he was okay. like, "Do you know what, what he, he was like? Do you know the difference between WW the World Wide Wide Web and the internet?" And I was like, "Uh, no, I thought it was the same." And then I it was very interesting. I learned a lot from him. But a nice guy. Like, yeah, it was okay, really cool. Fun. That's that's the review really I wanted to. Hear. And then it was also because of the um, Fame Lab stuff that I went on Triple J. Yeah. So the, the hack program, yep. we're doing, like just coincidentally, wow. a, whole thing on, a, whole, a whole thing on supplements. Wow. So they were like, come in and tell us about some Australian research. And I was like, cool. And that was just really awesome because I actually got to sit like in the, like, so there's the studio where Tom Tilly is. Yeah. And then there's like, I, I don't know what the actual radio term is, but it's like this room with all the panels that has a glass screen between yeah, like, that room. Yeah. yeah, and I just got to sit in there while they were like airing it and I got to like listen to people taking the calls saying yeah, like welcome cool. to hack you know what do you want to say like it was really interesting and I was listening to their um like their supplement segment and I was really impressed and they had some people calling in being like I take 20 supplements a day and I was just like and you're like oh please stop I was just like whoa like whoa 
And then heaps of people surprisingly called in and said that they were taking supplements and then they were actually not noticing any difference, so they stopped and yeah. that it wasn't effective. And I was like, da, 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 that's kind of the point. It's the supplements yeah. aren't medicine. Yeah, so it cool. was really interesting. It was uh, definitely a unique way of seeing something that I would never have been exposed to. Like, I didn't know what a radio studio looked like or anything. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. We, we've just talked about the whole sciacom thing. Yeah. And it's so important translating your research to yeah. people understand, but kind of get stuck up because we don't know how to do it yeah really like we can you can translate your words into understandable stuff but then getting it out there is that next step you're like oh yeah. shit how do I do that I think the thing that I get really scared of and I think a lot of people are wary of in terms of science communication is like being taken out of context and, mm. and your research being sensationalized and it being not something that it actually is so I would have to be really wary of that because you know I work in a, a human cell line but you know, they're not, it's not an animal model, it's not people. Yeah. Um, and I can say I see a toxic effect, and then I will kind of like, so it causes brain damage? I was like, no. <laughs> like, no, no. It's toxic to neuron-like cells. And they were like, that's not really uh, radio-friendly. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do then. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. So, but um, someone, like, I asked the media people at the uni who were really helpful. And like they who's did it. running that? So uh, Maria? Maria, yeah. yeah so okay. she was really good. She met up with me and like did a little practice one. And yeah, that's She right. was like, "You'll be fine." And also, she kind of told me, um, if you ever say something and you think it came out wrong or that it's going to be open to misinterpretation, don't be afraid to clarify and just say, "Hang on, I said that just wrong," or yeah. "I just want to make sure this is," and just double check and stuff. I feel like I'm probably a little bit shy and reserved so maybe I if I hadn't been told that I wouldn't have corrected when I like so it causes brain damage and I would have been like mmm uh, shit like I guess yeah because yeah, people just want the story yeah and like yeah so they, they want a story yeah yeah exactly. um, and it's great for scientists to share their story we just have to take care to make sure it's actually and the right one like to try and tell the truth so when it gets misconstrued you're like oh yeah like I was really scared of like I had all these like nightmares in my head swirling around you know when you're just ruminating and things of like someone taking me out of context and all of a sudden I'm discredited as a scientist and my career's over and I was just like I need to calm down I'm not into 30 yet it's all over. I was like it's over all of this research for nothing I'm a fraud yeah, I mean, I feel like a fraud constantly, but yeah. Well, that's the imposter syndrome. That's the imposter syndrome. You are making segues for me, Kate. So you are running Research Resilience here at UTS. Yeah. Um, I have seen the little weightlifting brain. It's a strong brain. It's yeah. a strong brain. Yeah. I haven't attended I haven't attended. Now that I know you run it, I will yeah. make efforts um, because now I have a human face to put to it. What is it? Why should I be going? I know it's mental health related. Yeah. So, like, I'll tell you its origin story. Great. Um, so my I love an origin yeah. story. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I've got so, um, I, I did honours at UTS, and I had, like, a really good group of mates from honours. Mm-hmm. And we hang out all the time, and we were, we'd all, like, gone into PhD together. And we were maybe about six months into the PhD, and we are all, like, at one of our friends' houses drinking. And then we kind of all just started venting yeah. about our PhD. And we kind of went this is actually really helpful. Like we realized that we're all in the same boat. We're all feeling shitty about the same things. We were concerned about the same things. And we kind of thought this is great. And then so my friend Dylan and I, we kind of looked at each other and said, but what about the people who don't have these friends? Like who don't have this? Like what if you are new to UTS for a PhD or you're an international student or you just don't have that? And we're like, well, what if we created 
something like that. So that's where we kind of came up with this idea of research resilience. So it's like a, a monthly meeting of PhD students run by PhD students to just get together and Dylan and I coordinate like seminars and speakers and stuff and it's all kind of like mental health related um, yeah, yeah. and about building resilience. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, a paper came out like sometime, I think May last year, saying that PhD students are about 2.5 times more likely than other people who are highly educated in the general population mm. to develop mental health problems yeah. and like we we're just like shit like that that is really concerning and then we thought about the context of the way universities handle it and no one really talks no about it. Really um, it. Yeah. I do have to say like in the last year mental health has gained a lot of traction. Yes. Like I think um, Nature have been doing a really damn good job about mm -hmm. stuff like that. So at the end of last year in October they did a survey of like about 6,000 PhD students, that not might be right, and basically they looked at what concerned PhD students, said about 80% are satisfied, um, that satisfaction is really strongly linked to whether you're satisfied with your supervisor, but then there were also quite a few students who were experiencing mental health problems, yeah. and that kind of is something we're at risk of because there's the context of a PhD is a little bit scary. It's really hard. Yeah. It's so uncertain, especially in terms of scientific research. You don't know if your experiments are going to work. You don't know what's going to happen or at the end of the day. Right. You don't know if you're doing the right thing, and because especially if you're learning a new technique. And then also, like, the big world. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. How many out, jobs are out there? Coming out the back end of honours, someone goes, here's a project for you for three years. Yeah. Go, shit, the longest thing I've done was a degree, but it's all piecework. Exactly. It's all little bits. So I, that's one of my tools is to break stuff down. But yeah, yeah I, it's, I, it's bloody, it's an issue. Yeah, it's definitely getting traction. Like after that nature thing, now they're publishing things all about it. And like there was something that came out this week, I think it's on the front page of it, talking about creating the right culture in the lab and stuff. And it's like just being the shift and that's, yeah, towards the things, like these positive things that people need to focus on. And I think... Um, a lot of the metrics at universities still kind of focus on like publications oh. and stuff like that. And I think somewhere along the line in the future, I think something will like will transition into also focusing on like soft skills, like like I don't know, finding a measurement for mentorship and yeah. maybe like universities can kind of put a gold standard on like we have really good mental health um, status among our PhD students, and that's something that can then be like worked into things and valued. Yeah, a, a cultural like, value. Yeah, like I think there's like a shift happening, and I always feel like a little bit sad that I don't think it's going to be like a reality by the time I finish. But there's definitely stuff happening. But if it's not a reality by the time you're finishing, as you're saying, mentorship, if you're someone who's got those skills, you'll be at the forefront of yeah. encouraging. Like that's the thing is you climb up the ladder. Yeah. It it becomes your job to be culturally yeah. responsible, even for those underneath you, like. Like, I, I'm not leading my lab, but I'm part of it. But yeah. I'm very big on let's sit down, have a chat. How's your mental health? Like yeah, people, that's good. people get annoyed at me sometimes. Cause I'm really? like, how are you mentally, emotionally, that's spiritually? Good. And they're like, what? I'm like, no. I, if you want to answer any of these questions, feel free. Like, yeah. honestly, are you okay emotionally? I need to know. That's pretty good. Um, I definitely want to make more of a habit of asking people, how are you, like yeah. mentally, emotionally? I think like maybe in research resilience, we give people just a little bit of education and. Almost like destigmatize stuff, saying mm. that it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because PhDs are hard, and we are at and risk of mental health issues. It's really yeah. interesting in my lab. Like we'll, we'll have a, a little powwow. There'll be different people around the room. You feel like you're saying stuff behind people's back, but then we're all whinging about the same thing. Yeah. About whatever X Y Z. Oh. Um, 
and you, you just need time to vent to someone. Like, oh, I, I'm big on counselling. You don't yeah. need to go to a counsellor, but you need to counsel with someone. Okay. You need to let stuff go. Um, I highly recommend that. But, yeah, like, that's you. You're stuck with oh. me for the next three years. Yeah, look at me. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I go mental fun. about once a month. Yeah, I think I just go, uh... You do, you. <laughs> Oh, you see it. You're like, you're really rude at the moment. I'm like, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why are you so cranky today? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's good. But it should just be a thing between the issues. Yeah, it needs to come from that top level. Yeah. So that's the thing that I, I imagine you'll get through this and you would be a really nice supervisor. You understand people. Maybe. You probably do that. So yeah, you need to, you can lead that cultural shift yeah. on your own at that point. My supervisor's really good. Mm. He was like, I'm looking, but I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yes, thank you. That's cool, though. Yeah. Like, I vent to my supervisor all the time. I tell him if yes. I'm having boy drama or, like, anything. I'm just like, I'm like, boy drama, I'm in a bad mood. He's like, Aww. okay. I'm like, this week wasn't productive. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little bit rungy. Yeah. So, tell us your origin story of science. How did you come to be here? Were you inspired by a teacher? Did you start picking up supplements when you were six or seven and get into it through that way like how how did you get to here it was a total accident yeah um, love it. great okay Good. so year 12 me trying to apply to uni yeah i almost did journalism because i was just like yeah english was my favorite subject i sucked at sciences yep. i only did chemistry because i thought it would scale well oh, and then i remember sitting in my chemistry hsc exam i opened the page and i just went did I even do this subject? And I just had no idea. So it didn't have a very good scientific background at all. And then I was kind of like, oh, I really like the idea of helping people though. So I was like, maybe I'll become a doctor. So then I did uh, undergrad medical science. Yeah. And then I was kind of going through that and I was like, oh, but like, what if I could help more people than a doctor could? So that's how I got into like the medical research stuff. Cause I was like, you know, if I'm a researcher and I make a big breakthrough that could help more people than a doctor could in like their day or something so I was like okay I'll get into research and then I finished honours and then by that point I was like okay I really like research cool and then I was kind of like I don't really want a job yet so I did a PhD. Is that do you find that's common for medical PhD students like we only had you and Joel on but yeah. Joel was like, yeah, I want to do research because I can help more people than yeah. the GP. Is that, that's a pretty common trend upstairs. I think so. A lot of, like, my friends... Upstairs. upstairs. All of my friends, I think we all really are dedicated to, like, helping people. Yeah. Like, I have friends who want to go, like, work in developing countries and help with, like, the antibiotic resistance crisis because yeah. they're microbiologists and stuff. And, like, it's pretty cool. And I think we all kind of have that in common where we really care. I feel like environmental people probably really care about the environment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Duh, duh. Like, do you yeah. guys say you do your research because you care about the environment? I don't know. What's your motivation? I, I, oh, let me turn it on oh, you. I'm curious. Oh, because I don't know. we're very much about helping people. Like, I, I want to help people. Yeah. No matter how I can. I, I, I do think it is from a care for the earth yeah. perspective. Yeah. That's cool. Because my, my premise is that I don't, I don't particularly like people individually sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to help that person. But <laughs> yeah. if I can give the person the opportunity to live somewhere nice okay. and keep giving them a planet to live on. That would be nice. Okay. What if we're like, I know this is too controversial, okay. maybe get into an ethical debate. If you could help an animal or a person, who would you help? Animal. Person. Yeah, See? Animal. No. See? This is the, uh, this, this is the real divide between the floors. I don't really like many people. 
exactly. See, I don't, I don't, I don't like many people, but the people I do like, I really like. And that's yeah. Yeah, same here. But then I'm like, but I like animals way more than I like people. Yeah. Um, I like tag my boyfriend in a meme that was like one out of ten people secretly like it was a UK study some yeah. random website probably not even valid but like one out of ten people secretly love their pet more than their significant other yeah. and I tagged him and I was like this is you <laughs> oh. and it's true or like all those things are like if you had a baby but your baby like could get on with your dog what would you yeah do? and you get rid of dog. get rid of the baby wow that's yeah. heavy yeah. see I, I don't even like domesticated animals like I don't know Really? I don't like the yeah, I don't like the I don't like having dogs or I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm lonely and I don't want to form that attachment. <laughs> they die and I'm left cutted, but like I don't know. You're like I work better in isolation. Yeah, I don't know. Um Yeah, wow, well, okay, now I have to think about that myself. Oh my God, okay, why would you do that? You're gonna pick him up tonight. I'm just gonna go home and have a beer. Um, Alright. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, do you have any other questions, Anne? Um, that was fucking cool. Thanks, <laughs> Kate. Thanks for coming in on Friday, Arvo. But it's just a really good chat. Um, so oh, if wow. you want to follow more of Kate's research, she is on Twitter, and you actually use it quite well, at Kate underscore Samarzik, S-A-M-A-R-D-Z-I-C. Um, or you can follow us at Alum Not Yet, or me specifically at Pelagic Johnson. And we'll have a Twitter within the month because I'm going to make it oh, for you and then what? give you the password. Now you're like big stuff if you have someone else managing your Twitter account. That's like celeb status. Huge. I'm like your PA. You've made it. I'm your Twitter PA. <laughs> you're amazing. Um, but yeah, cool. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I love this. It's good fun. See, this is what I do because it's fun. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, and you were good because, like, Trent wasn't doing it t- at the end of last week, but a lot of people like, just talk at the microphone. <laughs> oh, wait, what? Straight away, you would make eye contact with us, but a lot of people like, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. And I get really nervous and they're like, I ha- you ask me a question like, oh, the microphone's there, so I have to speak and I have to tell a story and then they just get comfortable and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, well, like, I guess that's the medium practice coming through. M- must be, but yeah, like, the first 10 minutes of somebody who uses. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, funny. Air cut, please, another roll of